Hey guys, on today's episode, I'm chatting with my friend Sarah from Sober Gratitudes. So if you want to hear an inspiring story on what it took her to get sober, you're definitely not going to want to miss out on this episode. And I have a special bonus freebie for you at the end of the show. When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Have you ever felt like you were meant for more? Well, I help people discover their purpose so they can follow their passion and realize what they are truly capable of. My mission is to empower people in recovery to embrace their authentic selves, live up to their true potential, and answer the question, what lies beyond recovery for you? Hi, everybody. You're listening to The Road Beyond Recovery. This is Johnny G from Refractive Podcast, a show based on helping people step into authentic power and joy. Like many of this show's listeners, I'm a friend of Bill Wilson, and my episodes focus on dropping beliefs that hold us back, stepping into a career that feels right, and embracing spiritual growth. You can find Refractive on your favorite platform or on YouTube. Now let's kick off the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. Here's my friend and our host, Tamar. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Thank you so much for joining me, and you heard from my friend Johnny G from the Refractive podcast. Make sure you go check out his show, I love supporting fellow members in recovery and it's it's one of the amazing things about podcasting is you get to meet so many cool people and there are so many of us that are recovering out loud. Now, if you haven't already, make sure you head on over to Facebook and join the Facebook community. It's called The Road Beyond Recovery. We do challenges, some fun stuff. I'm gonna be doing monthly calls and also I offer free workshops. So make sure you come check us out. The link will be in the show notes, but come and get some extra support with some like-minded individuals that are also in recovery. I am super excited about today's episode because we are chatting with my friend Sarah from Sober Gratitudes and the Sober Gratitudes podcast. I'll make sure I have all the links in the show notes, so make sure you go check out her show if you haven't already. In today's episode, she shares her story on how she got sober, you know, what life was like for her in addiction, and we talk about, you know, always trying to pass things off as though life is normal. And I know I did a lot of that too, right? I tried to hide what was really going on to those around me. I love how Sarah is recovering out loud, you know, and we don't have to be ashamed that we're in recovery. I remember in the early days, I used to hide it a little bit, right? Because there is still that stigma, unfortunately. But I think today there are way too many people suffering, you know, because maybe they don't want to come out that they've, you know, got problems with addiction. And I think that the more of us that share our stories and recover out loud, you know, the more people we may attract um, to get sober as well. So I love what Sarah's doing. Like I said, make sure you go check out the podcast, but enjoy our chat. 
Welcome back, everybody. I am hanging out with Sarah from Sober Gratitudes. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing fantastic. So let's start off with you were 14 when you called it finding your life partner. And of course, after getting highly intoxicated, which I can relate, I was 14 as well. Um, what was your childhood like and kind of what led up to it? And what was that first experience drinking like for you? Um, yeah, the first experience was wild. Um, and <laughs> I loved it. You know, I got very terribly sick and vomited profusely the next day, you know, hanging over the toilet, my best friend holding my hair back. But I was pumped. I wanted to do it again. I couldn't wait to do it again. And I did. I I remember when I first started to drink, it was beer. And I felt that sensation of just the numbness that like pumping through my veins. And what I noticed is that I felt really comfortable in my skin. And I looked in the mirror and I'm like, oh, I like what I see. So it was like instant confidence and instant relief because up until that point, you know, I, I had for the previous few years when I had my first drunk, some tension in my household, some trauma in my household um, impacted me more than I think I realized. So I did spend a lot of time with friends who really, they, they were my kind of my, my family that I chose for myself. Um, but we partied all the time, you know, and, and I always hung out with the, the, the ones who drank a lot. So, yeah, so that was an awesome, it was my life. I knew from the moment I had that first experience, you know, I, I knew I found, like you said, my life partner that we would just go hand in hand and spend the rest of our lives together and walk into the sunset dancing through the daisies. <laughs> I know I say my life went from black and white to technicolor because it was, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, they have a couple drinks and they start to get that buzz and it becomes, oh, I feel like I'm getting out of control, but I'm like, I'm just getting started. Like, I feel like I'm coming to life here. Yeah. Yeah, I never drank to just to have like one drink. It was always to get drunk. Yeah, that was just period. Yeah. That's what I just thought you did. And I loved it. <laughs> oh, me too. I know those, you know, for me, those early years of addiction were a lot of fun. And I honestly thought, and you said it, you know, you started to hang out with people that were just like you and they became your family. And I felt the same thing. So what were those early years of addiction like for you? Well, you know, I, I went along living my adolescence as I felt I was expected to, you know, that to not be a problem, to not be a burden to, you know, I was, I, there were, I had a, a lot of natural talents and athletics in particular and um, performing arts. I wasn't like spectacular performing arts, but I loved it. And I was good enough to sing in the choirs and so a lot of my friends were in the performing arts um, part of, you know, education. School, I was an absolute disaster. I mean, I did fairly well academically and I got into actually a, a pretty good university. But I, every, it was torture for me to take classes. I didn't I didn't realize until I was 41 that I was living with undiagnosed 
clinical anxiety and, and, and ADD and, and major depressive disorder. And, um, so I really struggled to stay focused in classes. And so for me to know that I had that relief on the weekends to go out with boy, I had a steady boyfriend all the time because I needed that man or boy, whatever, you know, when I was younger to worship me and to put me up on this pedestal and think I like was the light of their lives because I needed, you know, just like the alcohol, I was really, you know, uh, drinking, um, to kind of fill this empty hole that I wanted to feel, I was just desperate to feel loved and adored and, and worshiped for everything that I was and everything that I wasn't. And, um, so I just, I, I just lived a life that I, I thought I was supposed to live and didn't, I wasn't very confident deep down. I was very good at showing the world that I looked okay, but inside I was, um, I, 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 there was self-loathing going on. I struggled with eating disorders as well. Like I just, uh, I would starve myself for a long time and over-exercise and I just um, struggled internally. And I, I don't know why I, I, I guess I just thought that was normal and that, but I was so, but I, I knew that like I would have drinking <laughs> to relieve, to get that relief from the, the inner um, discomfort. Mm -hmm. So, so that's kind of like what my adolescence looked like all the way into college um, and beyond and to having, you know, meeting my now husband and having children. And then the alcohol just turned against me, mm -hmm. you know, and it became something that that's all I could think about. You know, all I wanted to do, if I wasn't drinking, I was thinking about drinking. I was planning where I would get my drink, my, my alcohol. I was very secretive. I drank, I drove drunk with my children behind the wheel. You know, their, my wine was hidden in their sippy cups that was hidden. Like it was, I was a big, big secret keeper. So I knew how to, and that, that's just all I knew. You know, I just lived the life that I uh, knew how to live. And, and it really was don't, don't be, um, be good and make us proud, but not so good that you're going to make a, a sibling feel, um, that their, that their struggles are more, um, amplified or hurts them more if they see me doing very well at something. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I kind of over the years started to kind of not perform as well intentionally. It was all like, you know, <laughs> fucked up shit going on in my head, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, that, that's just basically how I felt. I just, the, the, the feeling of just never wanting to be a burden to anybody to not be a problem. But then I was also equally full of self-pity, um, you know, self-loathing, really not feeling confident with who I was, feeling like that my 
my big heart, you know, my ability to love fiercely was a burden and that I was overdramatic. A lot of that was, you know, mental health related, but I'm also a highly sensitive person. So with a lot of empathy and, and I have good intuition. So I just, I kind of just grew to doubt myself all the time that I just felt like I wasn't, I was feeling like I was supposed to be a certain way, but in reality, I was something else and I couldn't express it or be it with the utmost confidence. Yeah. You know what, as you're, as you're sharing that, I'm like, oh my God, minus the children, you're totally sharing my story because I had tried to put up this persona. I, I think that's the right word of this normal, you know, like I'm normal and I gravitated towards people that were exactly like me because I could actually be myself, right? I could drink in front of them and they would just be like, ah, do you remember this? I'm like, no, actually I don't. And, you know, I'd have to try and figure out who I owed apologies to the next day. And because that became the new norm, like I didn't think there was anything wrong with Thirsty Thursdays. And, you know, like, it was just that was my life. That's how I coped. If I went to the movies, okay, well, we have to sneak a Mickey of vodka in there. And if we go on a road trip, well, we have to have a cooler with us, you know, right in the middle kind of thing. And I think for so long, because I had really tried and I, I was this, this self, the recognition. Oh, my God. I'm like, mm-hmm. I wanted the gold star, like the gold star had to be, you know, I was like, desperately trying to get that validation that I was good enough and you know it it led to obviously codependent behavior and all this other stuff but I tried to be so normal on the outside and I was so tormented on the inside I felt like I was literally living two different lives like was (laughs) it like that for you too oh yeah it was like my outsides did not match my insides at all and, you know, I think through the, cause my drinking career was very long. It was two and a half decades. And, um, and throughout the, that time it ebbed and flowed, there were some times where I was like, okay, I've got to cool the jets here. And it was like, I felt like refreshed and like, oh, more energy and, and such and such. But then I would always, you know, go back to drinking and then it would, you know, escalate, escalate, escalate. Um, but I just, I, I didn't know, I didn't feel my insides were of much, um, I don't know the word, like I, I didn't think much of my authentic self and, and I, I don't know why, I mean, it could be a combination of a lot of things, but that's just the way it was. And so, but I was very good at presenting as being okay. And it's not to say my whole entire life was an absolute lie. Cause you know, like I am out, I'm like out on Facebook as being in recovery. And there's recently I've had friends say like, Oh my gosh, I've known you since I was four. I had no idea. How come you didn't tell me? Um, I could have helped. Maybe I, I could have helped you. And I'm like, ah, no, it's not, it's so much more complicated than, than that. And, um, but my friends, I feel like I was <clears throat> most authentic with. And, and so the, the, and some that I'm still very close with today and some that I'm, you know, I keep in touch with periodically and some that I don't talk to anymore, whatever, 
like, I think for the most part, I was authentic with them, but they didn't know that maybe some like later on, like in college in particular, that I was really, I suffered from very low self-esteem. So that was just a constant. And so I dated a lot of guys, you know, I used my sex powers to, to get men, you know, yeah, to date me. And, and then I would turn all needy, you know, and why, why do you want to go out with your friends? Like what I'm supposed to be number one in your life, you know? <laughs> and I would, I would be a pain in the ass. So it wasn't until later when I did like my whole sex inventory in the 12 step program where I learned patterns in my relationships and where I, I, I learned how, like, I could finally see my life objectively and from the viewpoint of the people I was in a relationship for over the course of my life, not just males that I dated, but even female friendships and in relationships with my family, like how did they experience me? And I'd be like, ew, yuck. Like, or, oh my gosh, I feel really bad that they experienced this, you know, very clingy, needy, um, full of self pity person mm -hmm. at her worst. I mean, at her best <clears throat> when she was really drunk was lots of fun, would go out. Like I was the one who'd say yes to going out to bars all the time. Um, and then skip writing the paper until two in the morning and write it drunk, hand it in eight in the morning, you know, so it's just, it was a shit show. My, my life was like, I, it was, it was a difficult life because I was making choices that made it difficult. So. Yeah, absolutely. So what led to you finally really recognizing that you had a problem and you had to stop? I think most of the time, like towards my college years, I, I really began to realize that I liked drinking a lot, but so did a lot of other people in college. So I kind of had an out then like, okay, I'm drinking like everyone else. So, but I remember thinking, I really like drinking. Like, why am I the person that everyone can count on to go to the bars and drop everything. Like I always wondered, like, how can that person say no and just say, no, I have homework to do. Like I could never do that. So I, I would notice like I would, that, that would, that stayed in my head. And then when I graduated college, I got, um, I, um, got a chronic illness and I had to stop drinking for some time. And I was actually told to stop drinking and after a while, like th my chronic illness was not getting better with anything, any of the treatments, anything. And I was just like, fuck that. I'm going to, I'm going to drink. Like, I'm just going to just try to do everything in moderation. Oh. Okay. So th this, this alcoholic here cannot do anything really in moderation. So no, I just drank more, you know, cause I had stopped. So I then met my husband at that point, again, I was at a point in my life where like, um, I was able to kind of deal with my chronic illness. I was trying to make better choices. I was trying to like, stop going to bars to meet men and, and form friendships and do things that I enjoyed. So I met him in, um, a community, um, playhouse where there was musicals and shows, um, in the town that I'm from and that I 
we now live in. And we met there and that was around the time that I didn't drink so much. And, but then I started to drink more, the more connected I became to his family and um, feeling very, very self-conscious with his family. It didn't feel like they liked me and, you know, needed that liquid self-confidence. So I just kind of got back on the, 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 the me and alcohol hand in hand, you know, it was like, I was committed to my husband, you know, when we were dating, but then I was also very committed to my alcohol. And, and so again, I just continued to do things that my parents loved. My, <clears throat> it was the first boyfriend they ever liked. And <clears throat> I always felt like I was in a shadow because I had so low self-esteem, <clears throat> excuse me. And that's not his fault. You know, he's just, he's a great guy. You know, he's, you know, he's not perfect by any means, but he's, he's made a lot of good choices in his life. And I really felt like I was a person who didn't make a lot of good choices and made a lot of mistakes, got myself into a lot of trouble. And so I thought, okay, he, I, I really, it's great that I really love and adore this guy. And I think this is the person I want to be with the rest of my life. But I really do feel like, like, I would always say to him, like, why do you, like me like what like like I knew who like he, he had a girlfriend before me who I actually met at a wedding and I was like she's amazing like why did you dump her like she and he and he said he's like well because she's not you and I'm like wow that's really nice but wh what are you seeing because I can't see it and um so to and so I'm kind of like got oh the, I'm getting um to answer your question in a very long way which I knew what I would do because I'm very chatty. <laughs> I really knew I had a problem when I was around 37, 38. And my youngest son, I have three sons, and my youngest son had been diagnosed the two of the second of the two with autism, <clears throat> was diagnosed with autism. And of course, it was all about me. I must've done something wrong. I fucked them up. You know, I, it was all about me, all about me. And I just felt like I was not a good mother. My chronic illness was again, something that I kept secret that I didn't talk much about. And so it was, <clears throat> I would drink to kind of like help with my, my chronic illness and numb myself from that pain. So I had I had physical discomfort. I had spiritual and emotional discomfort that continued to worsen and worsen. And there was traumas that occurred throughout the course of my life. And then having my children, there were some traumas with having my children that just layered on top of my childhood traumas. And so I was just a total shit show. And drinking was literally like the only thing that I felt I was good at. Like I would, you know, I was full of self-pity. I, and <clears throat> one night, um, it was May of 2012. You know, it was Tuesday and I went to bed drunk and was woken up after having this very, very, very long, drawn out, scary, rock bottom dream where I was being drowned in alcohol 
well, it was actually in the dream. I thought it was just a vat of liquid and that somebody was submerging me into it. And I woke up gasping for air and I just laid there like completely depleted. And I, I couldn't cry because I would just make my hangover worse. But I was crying enough, just like I was laying there with tears coming down, like going into my ear, ears and realizing that dream. I really believed. And th- th- up until this point, I never really thought God thought I was important. Like, I didn't think, like, I knew there was a God, I, like, I really did believe there was a God, but I just felt like that, like, he wasted time putting me on the planet. <clears throat> and so it was the first morning where I woke up with a different thought in my head. And because before that morning, the thought in my head was, damn, I'm still alive. You know, I always went to bed hoping that I would die in my sleep for about a good two years before I surrendered. But that morning, that dream was enough to put a different thought in my head. And the the thought was Google local AA meetings. And so I went to my first recovery meeting and I felt like I was home. And I was the age of 39. And that was eight and a half years ago. It was almost nine years. Yeah, almost nine years ago. So that was the very long (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to like edit a lot of that out. (laughs) But but we we like to talk, so it's all good. Um, I do the same thing. Like I was saying before we got on the interview that sometimes I I share things and I'm like, what did I just say? I have no idea. (laughs) It's that out of body because we get so excited about it. Right. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I I, it's uh, interesting. I actually got sober June 17th, 2012 at the age of 36. So we're right the same year. And it's, it's cool to be able to share things and actually be excited about it today because it was never like that. And in my first year of recovery, it was the same thing, right? Actually, I remember when I was, you know, talking to my first sponsor and we, we did our step five together and I'm, I'm, I was scared to share some of the stuff I had gone through and you know just the look back going hey me too and i've done this and i'm like okay i don't feel so bad right and this is actually very common and there's a lot of people and that's why you know i wanted to start this podcast is to really help people discover their purpose or at least use their experience in addiction to discover their purpose because i believe people are capable of so much more than they think and I mean, for the last, you know, um, not last couple of years, but before then I had gotten incredibly complacent and I thought, okay, well, I should just accept having a Monday to Friday, nine to five job. I should just accept that this is as good as it's going to get. And early recovery was really great for me, but I always felt like I was capable of something else. Like I felt like Mm -hmm. I was meant for more. And I just didn't know what that was. And so recovery for me was building that foundation. And eventually I realized that, hey, you have 20 plus years of addiction. Like, you know, to have, to be able to look someone in the eyes that's struggling and go, hey, me too. Like, I understand what you're going through is so powerful. So 
what was that that first while in recovery like for you? Well, I I didn't behave so well to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> Did some regrettable things and um but I was, you know, like they say and I didn't believe it. They're like, you're going to when you stop drinking, you develop like go back to like the age you started drinking developmentally. And I was like, whatever. But I really did. Like I, I did some acting out. Like you know, I picked up smoking cigarettes, and my husband was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Like, well, he didn't say that because he doesn't curse. I'm the cursor, and but he was mad. Like he was really mad, and I was doing it secretively because that's like that. I knew what to do secretively. You know, the, like I do everything in secret. Like, and then I would over exercise, under eat again, and then this is before I realized that I needed to see a psychiatrist and talk about my mental health and you know, um, and build my, and, and actually that's when I, I, I did EMDR therapy. So I did a lot of stuff outside of the program, um, the 12 step program of AA, but, um, I did a lot in, I had great sponsors. Um, I went to meeting a lot, a lot of meetings. Um, but I also needed a lot of outside help in the beginning. And so the outside help was in the form of, you know, trauma therapy, um, getting properly medicated, um, and seeing a specialist to deal with, um, my trauma, like not just the impact. So I had a lot of different things that like, I did a lot of healing within the first, you know, three to four years. And I worked really hard. Like I said to myself, like I worked really hard in addiction to plan and plot where, like what, like what liquor stores to go to so that the liquor store owners didn't think I had a problem, you know, and then, but I, there was so much more, there was so much secret keeping about my drinking. And there was so much that I was withholding in terms of how I felt about myself. And I just felt like I was going to explode. So like getting the first couple of years of sobriety, I did a lot of work on myself while I was also a stay-at-home mom, like you know, advocating for my children with autism, you know, in the public schools, doing a lot of, um, you know, my, my focus was my sobriety and my children. And unfortunately, like my marriage got kind of took a back seat. And I think that's relatively common, like for both like parents of special needs children and with children, you know, let's face it. And then um, uh, the sobriety piece, um, and, um, that, that really just, he didn't understand. Cause I, he, he was shocked when I was said, I'm, I'm going to, a I'm going to AA. He was like, you don't need to go to AA. Like, but I kept it such a secret from him. My best friend was shocked as well. And she's known me forever. She was completely shocked. I mean, that's how good I was at keeping my alcoholism a secret. So, so, um, to your original question was the first couple of years of sobriety. It was hard work, but I was really willing to, cause I was just really exhausted with how my, what alcohol was doing to my body. Like I was I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that I was starting to experience some liver issues because I started to blow up 
like my face was like really distorted looking and I didn't eat much, but I was overweight. And, and it's because I think it was really messing with my liver and my, who knows what else. And I was having tons of heart palpitations in the middle of the night, you know, when I was coming down from the alcohol, like, you know, going from being drunk to having the hangover. And that was so frightening yet. I was like, I want to be dead. And, you know, so, Oh no, I don't want to die. But then I want to be, it just, it was crazy. So anyway, so the first couple of years, it was a lot of hard work. And then, and then it got a little bit easier. Like my, my marriage started to really um, repair, be repaired. And we really, my husband and I are, have a very, um, we have like an adoration for each other. Like we really like kind of adore each other and, and we've, and we love our children more than anything in the whole world. So, and we both really wanted a family. And so that was strong enough to, to keep us together through the, through the journey of me healing and uh, um, really kind of getting rid of the demons of my past and of all the alcohol that I was drinking. I mean, it took such a long time. I felt like to detox from physically detox from the alcohol. So, um, yeah. And then, and then up until last summer, um, I thought I was spiritually fit. You know, I was, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I did all this work on myself and then Th things happen, COVID happened, Zoom meetings, meeting people from all over the world. I had an opportunity to do a step study out on the West Coast over Zoom. And I did it just exactly how it was laid out in the big book. And I, I, I literally had a fourth dimension experience during my fifth step. Like I was literally felt like I was like buzzing and levitating off my, the floor that I was sitting on when I was doing my fifth step. It was just un believable like and i thought up until that point like that i had it down like i had sobriety down but i didn't realize just how much like you know i learned so much about like self and selfishness above all else we alcoholics have to be rid of selfishness and um and you know learning about if we have resentments like my husband he's not an alcoholic he can have all the resentments he wants but he's not going to die from them but me, you know, as an alcoholic, if I let my go, if I let myself go long enough without dealing with resentments, I'm going to end up drinking and to drink is to die for me. So it was a really incredible experience last summer. And so my, I feel like I was kind of launched into a different dimension, but a different, like not better than anybody, but just like for my own, like not looking down on anyone more actually more like in into action type stuff started happening for me and and it's really awesome like it just makes me love the fact that I got sober even more because people promised me in the beginning it only gets better and I was like fuck you or you know time takes time <laughs> shut up you know <laughs> I don't want to hear that anymore or write it down. No, I'm not going to journal, you know, like, the, but you know, really it's all of it. It's, it's really, it's just such a, it's such a better life now for me. I'm, I'm really living a life that I never 
imagined I could live. It is a gift. And you touched on it briefly, but, you know, the amount of effort that we put into getting drunk, you know, I mean, I would steal from people. I lied. My whole life was a lie. And I, I, you know, since I finally discovered my purpose in life, and I think it's so important. It's why I, you know, I help teach people how to discover their purpose, because like you said, at a certain point, a lot of people in recovery think, well, I got this, you know, I've got a pretty good life, I've got my family back, but you can lose it just like that. And I found that since I have finally started being more open about my journey, um, sharing my story, people have started going, hey, I, I feel the same thing. But it wasn't until I finally discovered my purpose. And I love how you said you just got to this whole, your sobriety hit a whole new level. Mm-hmm. Um, if we take that energy and harness it that we used to get drunk and put it towards helping other people in not just in the rooms, but outside of the rooms and help them overcome the com- complacency, because I've known a, f- a bunch of people that have passed away this past year because they didn't have anything outside of their recovery, you know, and I didn't just come into recovery so that I could live a a mediocre life. I mean, we've been given this gift of this experience that we can use now and help inspire other people. So is that kind of where you're at right now? And, And I know you have a podcast, we'll talk about that next, but I feel like it's so important for people in recovery to find their purpose in life. Yeah. And, and exactly, because I know for, for me, my experience in active addiction, and I, I already said it, I was just no self-esteem, didn't feel like I had a purpose. Um, you know, old tapes played in my head about how I felt like I was a burden, you know, I, you know, and so when we spending like the majority like of my life in that state of mind and then coming into recovery and then you do the work about, you know, healing yourself. And then you're like, wow, okay. Like I am on this earth for a reason. And, you know, the process of forgiving myself of the, the harms, you know, making amends with people. It's such a free, it's such a beautiful freeing experience, but, you know, also, you know, trusting that my higher power has um, a plan for me. And that if I just stay out of the driver's seat, you know, things usually work better for myself and people around me. Um, because if I, if I start to control things, it really just, that's when it starts to turn into a shit show again. So like that, I know there's just so much I can control in life. I know what I can do in life to, um, help other, I can help other people. I can, I can give people that I love like that, you know, in the, in the big book, it says some, something somewhere about like you, you, I can't remember exactly. I, I love the big book, but I'm not good. At, I'm not so good that I can like quote the, grab the page out of my head, but it's like, we, we, d- we build a community of our own making. And, and I feel like that that's what has happened for me over 2020. Um, and now I actually, you know, have, I created a a new AA meeting over zoom, um, just recently. And it's, it's really awesome. It's people that I know and love and I've met because of COVID, you know, like I've, 
and I, I don't know how I, that happened, you know, it's just, I, I think because I just kind of continue to keep trusting my heart and the fact that now I have this chance to live a better life and do better and do think outside of myself and do things that I feel will be beneficial for other people, then that that's for me, like what life, what fulfills me. I mean, that gives me such great satisfaction, you know, to know, like to, to know that a conversation that I've had with somebody who's struggling and they, at the end of the conversation, they feel a hundred times better. Maybe just cause I listened, you know, and, and said, yeah, what you're dealing with sucks. I, I know it's, it totally sucks and not trying to fix what they're, you know, they're, they're, they're stressing about or, you know, struggling with. But that, I mean, that for me, that that's, I, I feel like now I've been given this, I, it's this gift. I feel like that I'm, I am like, you know, the, I'm not a big reader of all the trendy books out there. You know, I know they're very good. You know, I know they've got a lot of great, you know, press and a lot of women like stay-at-home moms, like reading a lot of books, but one, one book, um, by Laura McCowan, we are the luckiest. Actually, before that book came out, before I knew who the heck she was, and before COVID hit, there was a, a fellow of mine in the rooms who I was talking with about the big book after the meeting. And we were just like kind of just sharing in the the like the basking in the enjoyment of being sober. And he goes, you know, Sarah, he goes, we're, we're the luckiest people in the world. And then the book came out and I'm like, my friend Dave, he's the one that coined that phrase. Come on. <laughs> you know, but, but, but the way Laura McCowan, like her stories, and I was so compelling and, and I, and I think she has a real strong message and I love her book, but, um, and she does like a TLC program and I'm totally plugging for her right now, but which is what I like love to do, you yeah. know, like I love, you know, plugging and promoting other people who, who do things in recovery to, to recover out loud to end stigmas, to educate people who don't know anything about addiction and, and to stop that, you know, to stop the judging. And that's not a moral failing. It's we're really sick people trying to get better. We're not bad people, which is really, truly we were sick. And I was sick, like the further away I get from, you know, end day, I'm like, wow, I don't know how I'm alive. I don't know how I survived that. So, yeah. So now I'm really grateful that I get the opportunity to, to do good things, you know, to feel go to bed, go to bed at night and know that like, you know, I made a difference in someone's life or I'm working towards things that are, that will be helpful for other people. And then I'm thinking of my husband before myself. I'm like, I'm not like, it's, it's just my whole way of being is it's like, I, I feel good about who I, who I am now. Um, but that took a lot of work. And it, it does. I mean, I still, even when I'm working with clients, I'll share because food is still something that, you know, I overindulge in and I, it's when you were talking about your early sobriety, I started smoking again, too. And I remember my friends like tomorrow, I'm like, I'm just going to smoke at work. I'm just going to smoke four cigarettes a day. 
And I went like hardcore weight loss, 75 pounds down. And I literally at the end of it all, uh, the first year, I'm like, I graduated. Like, I got this. Like, look at me. I am 75 pounds lighter. I am sober, you know, but I still had all those habits. So for me, it's this ongoing work that I'm not afraid to share anymore. Like, I'm not afraid to say, guys, like, I just binged out on seven days in a row my little cauliflower crust pizzas with with extra cheese because I love them so much. But I think that makes us more human, right? We're not these, you know, professional people telling you what to do. And we're not living like we're, you know, I like to make sure that I always walk my talk. And if I'm struggling, I'm not right. afraid to say, you know what, it's I'm, I'm not okay right now. Like I'm mm-hmm. really having a hard time. So um, I obviously love what you do. Um, tell us what in- inspired you to create the podcast. Well, it was a part of me wanting to 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 do more. This longing, you know, and it started with with um, the big book. Like I had been brought through the steps by two different sponsors, but not fully through the steps. And I know now it wasn't because they did something wrong. It was because I wasn't I wasn't in doing the steps. So I did everything else, but I had this, I was very involved in this one group and there was a couple of people in this group who knew the big book really well. And I was always talking with them about the big book and understanding the big book, this longing, longing, longing to know, but I didn't do any big book studies or anything of that nature. So I started to do instead like blogging um, on this other website, which has since been disbanded, it no longer exists. Um, and I just felt like I needed, I, I felt like this longing to like, like shout from the mountaintops about how awesome sobriety is like, and how good you can feel. And when you stop relying on and self-medicating like that, that you're, you're like the cobwebs are cleared and you feel more refreshed, like the problems don't be, have to be solved or part, all parties don't have to be held with liquor. Like I just wanted to, it was, I don't know. I just felt like I needed to, I wanted to like get into the whole like advocacy of people with mental illness. And like, so I am like, how do I do that? Like, how do I do that? And it wasn't enough going to, to meetings for me. Like I, I needed to find something else. So I got an Instagram account and it was not really a sobriety account. It was more like my kids were younger. So it was like more of autism. So I got picked up by this one I'll plug it, this really great autism podcast called uh, Adventures in Autism. Um, the host is, her name is Megan. And she found me and asked me to be on our podcast. And that was, I think, three years ago, maybe more. I don't know. And that was the first time I was on a podcast. I was nervous as all hell. And um, and of course, it was a really long podcast episode because, you know, I'm a talker. <laughs> <laughs> and that that um it, at the end of that episode i addressed how i was you know had gotten sober like three years prior um and that it was the best gift that i gave to my children and it made being an autism parent so much easier to be sober and so and she said oh you'd be really good at this podcasting thing i'm like ah, no so I just kept writing and, you know, with all the other 800 bloggers in the world and then 800 billion that is, and <clears throat> that's actually an accurate number, I think. Is it? 
Yeah, I saw like I was doing research on like podcasts versus versus blogging, mm-hmm. and actually we're we're in a good niche right now because yeah. it's 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 really we're still in the beginning right now. So looking good for us. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna make it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, and there's a lot of podcasts that don't are not like people don't put anything out on the podcast, like, but there's a smaller percentage, there's a small percentage of people who are actively like putting out episodes. So it's, so anyway, I digress. I, I realized that um, as I kept getting asked to be on podcasts, whether they be about like being an autism parent, and then it suddenly became about being in recovery. And that was a little scary at first because I was coming out on Instagram, but like only my voice. So I just use my first name and I can't remember. I've been on so many podcasts. I can't remember. And I loved it. I love the back and forth. I love talking with, with the interviewer about like, not just me, but about their experience and just like learning about what they did. And, but most of them would say to me, you would, I, you would be good in podcasting. You should give it a try. And again, like it was like the old, old, no, no, no. Like I couldn't even, it was like too overwhelming to think about. And then I was, and then, but then I, then I did start thinking about it. And for two years, I was thinking, I was thinking about doing a podcast and I had a friend who's also in recovery and he knows a lot about podcasting. Um, he's pretty anonymous, so I don't want to like, you know, give too much information about him. But he's works for a very well-known um, news station in New York City, um, where I live near. And um, he, I was on a podcast that he directed at his um, station, and I would send him ideas, and he's like, like for podcasts, and he's like, no, that sucks. I'm like, okay. And then two months later, I'm like, what about this? He's like, no. <laughs> and, and then I would send him something else and he's like, uh-uh. And he would give me suggestions. He would say, you need to have this, 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 that I'm like, okay. And I listened and I listened and I listened. And then one morning I woke up just like the morning I woke up and the Google local AA meetings popped into my head. One morning, I, I think it was in the shower, actually. Sober gratitudes popped into my head. Because what I realized what was happening is like I more and more in recovery, I kept saying, I'm so grateful that I'm sober because if I wasn't sober, I would have like kicked the shit out of that guy who was like chastising my autistic son who knows shit about autism. And he's not my son's parent, you know, like, like I would have misbehaved and been really, really rude to that person if I was still um, in my active addiction or in early recovery. So like I kept saying, I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful. And so that's where Sober Gratitudes came. And I thought it was like a nice umbrella, you know, celebrating the hope and recovery. Because really, like, I wanted to, it was almost like, I need to prove to you all, all you listeners out there, I'm going to prove to you with evidence. People will be my evidence. (laughs) My examples. (laughs) That, That a better life is absolutely possible on the other side of addiction. And so that was kind of my goal. I kept it like very simple because I was like complicating it way too much before I finally got to that just sober gratitudes. And like just recently I took off the podcast, the sober gratitudes podcast and I was just sober gratitudes, you know, found on every, all major, major 
most major um, platform uh, podcasting platforms. So it gives me the liberty to like, you know, anyone who's sober and grateful to be sober and, and has like turned, had their lives have turned around in ways that they're so like, they cannot even believe it themselves, but they want to share about it. So they kind of had a similar experience that I had about like this longing to like, I need to do something more. And so they get up my show and they're like, oh my gosh, thank you. I had this opportunity to like share with something. I just wanted to tell, I wanted, and I have literally have gotten messages, phone calls from people who said, I sat this 19 year old girl down and had them listen to episode number blah. And they were, they finally surrendered and hit rock bottom listening to your, that one episode. And now they're in rehab and they are detox and they went to rehab and now they're they're recovered. And, And I'm like, oh my gosh, I would cry like to hear that I was making some kind of impact. Cause I was like, if I can help one person, just one person during this podcast, yeah. I will be, <laughs> but it's more than that. And there a lot of, of, I'm sure I don't hear from, and that's fine, but I do get a lot of feedback and some, some great reviews that are very helpful for me. Um, because there are times where I'm like, what am I doing? Is this really helpful, helpful to anybody? Um, do I need to be like a superstar? And then I'm like, okay, ego go away. <laughs> really not about me it's really just trying to um it's really just it's like a community like on on facebook i i have a sober gratitudes community nothing much happens there except for like i say here's a new episode or i might like put up like a like a quote that's inspiring or something of that nature Mm -hmm. but um podcasting alone can take up a lot of time but i love it i I, it's, it's all I think about. I mean, I, th- I think about my kids and, you know, caring for my children, my husband and my fr- friends and family, but like, it's like first time in my life where I have stuck with something and the momentum has, you know, just stayed. Like I was always like quitting shit. Like I just, and then I'm like, no, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. I don't want to try. Cause I don't want to fail. Cause I will fail. So this was the first thing in my life that I ever did where I feel like I'm not failing at it. Like, I think I am making some kind of a difference and yeah, I have a teeny tiny audience, but they're my teeny tiny audience. That I've, like my little family, you know, <laughs> it's my little community. And so it's, it's, um, who knows where I'll go with it, you know, and where I just trust that it'll evolve just like my my, my life in recovery, you know, my, my time, this, this part of myself that, that where I can express myself creatively, um, and use my voice and my experience to, um, plant seeds in heads of, um, men and women, women in particular, just because I am one and women who have been traumatized, women with mental health issues, women with like eating disorders, um, the Me Too movement type people, you know, that, but the ones that suffer and struggle with a self-loathing purpose, you know, like, yes, I agree with you that we all have a purpose here. And, and it helps to just get, get the addictions out of the way. Cause I know for me, like eating to like, 
I can eat like a whole bag of like those mini chocolate, like chocolate chips. Mm -hmm. They have to be frozen. You know, I like them frozen <laughs> and then I sprinkle them on my yogurt. Cause I, and then I eat, but I only can like, it's a joke with my husband. He's like, oh, they were on sale. So I got like 10 of them and I'm like, fuck, well tomorrow there's going to be zero. And it's true. Like yeah. I can't like, you know, like I, I still, and I don't know what that's about. I don't know if it's the sugar. Cause like the sugar is so addictive. Um, and I'm addicted to caffeine. Like if I don't drink my extra large Dunkin' Donuts every morning, I will have a major major headache and probably feel incredibly nauseous. So if I ever try to go off coffee, which I don't think I ever will, I will have to wean myself like a drop at a time, you know? So anyway, but it's interesting, like, you know, when there's, when, when I know that like, if I am like eating, cause eating's for me still, like, I, I can't say that I'm the best eater. I, I love eating sh sugary things and danishes and bread and I don't I don't love vegetables I don't love fruit you know but I force them on in me because I am 48 and you know I want to live a long life um but I part of me feels like you know I might have more work I need to do because of the fact that I'm but but I don't I'm not like pushing it I'm just like kind of like listening like to you know the, again the longings of my heart like the what what feel the feels like and I and I trust where I'm going now like I, I trust myself I never trusted myself before so it just feels good to be a, able to feel comfortable in my own skin it's only been like I don't know like eight years or so yeah out of my 48 years existing on this earth so I hope to live to 150 you know, me, me too. If I can do this to 150, that'd be pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's yeah, it, it is a gift. And I, you know, I always look at the eating part of it as I if I turn around and look back, and I always say this to people are like, because I don't know about you, but I want everything and I want it now. And so when I start things, it's like it becomes this obsession. But I've learned how to prioritize things and not shame myself and not talk down to myself when I do have something that I probably feel like I, I shouldn't be having, but I own it. And I could never do that before. It'd be like, do it in secret. Nobody can know. And now I'm like, yeah, you know what? I just, I just binged out on these chocolate bars or I just went to the store and had a whole bag of Chicago style popcorn, you know, mm -hmm. like, I'm not afraid to talk about it or own it because I'm so happy and I am so full of gratitude in my life. I mean, I wake up at 4 a.m. every day to do what I love. And I couldn't even say that a couple of years ago, right? And it just, it keeps evolving. And I think being in the space, like you said, especially podcasting, we get to meet so many amazing people. And I love hearing people share their stories and where they came from because I do think we can make an impact. And I think we, mm -hmm. we can't keep quiet because how do you attract people right and it's like you lead by example you talk about it you don't you don't keep it a secret and make it something that's shameful because I really believe there's a lot of people out there that are still suffering in silence because mm -hmm. they don't like I was a very functioning alcoholic 
but my life was chaotic um, and I had lost everything. But I mean, I think they don't come out because they're like, well, maybe I don't have a problem. I mean, I'm not homeless. I, I didn't live under a bridge with a brown paper bag. That wasn't me either. I just hit my bottom when I decided to stop digging. So, you know, I think we need to bring more awareness to that. So I just, I absolutely love what you do. Um, can How can people get a hold of you if they want to listen to the show or they want to learn more or buy your gratitude shirts? Because I'm definitely are grateful. I'm definitely getting a hoodie. But <laughs> where can people uh, get to know you better? Um, well, Sober Gratitude's all over social media. If, you know, Twitter, even TikTok. Well, no, not on TikTok. I just joined TikTok. I don't even know why. I know it's too um, much. <laughs> it's so for sure. But I'm like Instagram, Sober Gratitudes. My my website is SoberGratitudes.com. Um, what else? Facebook, Sober Gratitudes Community, I think it's called. Um, so if you go to my website, that kind of houses everything. Um, and so you'll see, you know, my merchandise, like my shop and all of the merchandise that I that I sell. Um, all the proceeds go to um, a nonprofit rehab treatment facility for, or, or home, not facility, home for women with um, addiction and trauma um, related disorders, like co-occurring disorders. And um, there's like 18 beds. It's called Mrs. Wilson's treatment um, home. We're doing some rebranding with that right now as well. And I'm on the board of directors there. So all the merchandise, the proceeds go to Miss Wilson's house. So <clears throat> I also have, you know, my homepage, what I'm about, like how I'm like open to doing speakers or TED Talks. Like that's my dream. Yeah. Do a TED Talk one day. Totally. Um, <laughs> um, and then when COVID's over, like maybe go to high schools or middle schools or and speak and um and my kids will be older by then. And so I won't have to embarrass them and go to the school that they're at. <laughs> <laughs> but I have, I've, I'm really just so excited to, um, to be out there and to know and to get more visibility because with more visibility, I am also, you know, I like to help others get visibility. So I do have on my, one of my tabs is resources. So I've like, I've, of course I have SAMHSA there and in America, it's like, it's a substance abuse, um, mental health association and it's actually worldwide i think so it's like you call this number and you can be directed to somebody for mental health like that is first and foremost on my resources um and then then i have different in influencers you know people like who i'm friends with and i really think are fabulous and doing great stuff in in social media recovery world they are also on my on my website um, so it's not all about me and it's not all about my podcast. It's also like sharing about, you know, um, this nonprofit home that I, that I volunteer at. And of course the fun merchandise, you know, and um, uh, the more might be coming, there might be a blog that I add to it, but I'm not sure, you know, we'll see. We'll stay, tuned. stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll share out all the links in the show notes, but thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to meet you and I love what you're doing too. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I absolutely love what Sarah does 
and make sure you go check out the podcast. I will add a link in the show notes. It's the Sober Gratitudes podcast. And of course, leave a rating and review because that helps us all and that will make sure that the show is seen by many more people. And for those of us in recovery, of course, we need to spread that message that recovery is indeed possible. Now, for those of us that have, you know, overcome that adversity, that addiction, and discovered our purpose as a result of it, it's an amazing thing. I have done things that I never imagined possible. And that is an outcome of discovering my purpose in life. And, you know, like I've talked about, I thought for years that my past would follow me around in a negative way, but it hasn't. So if you are looking to discover your purpose and you want to take part in my free workshop, it's called Purpose to Empowerment. I run this workshop weekly. You'll get time with me to ask questions. It's interactive. And the first part of it, we're going to really help you focus on how do you discover your purpose, right? How do you get some more clarity and direction in your life? And then in the second part, I'm going to be teaching you five concepts that if you implement them could absolutely change your life. So make sure you come check it out. Go to the roadforward.ca slash purpose dash empowerment or on the main page of my website, you can scroll halfway down and there is a link there. And guys, until the next episode, be safe out there.